0: Good day to you, everybody, wherever you may be. Welcome to Atlanta Discourse. I'm still your man, your anchor, your moderator, whatever you want to call me. My name still remains Ade Balogo. This is Atlanta Discourse, where we do it the way it should be done. Today, we have another fantastic and very juicy topic for you. We're looking at the relevance of the Commonwealth of Nations in today's world. You know, we all know about the Commonwealth of Nations. It's a British... Uh, conglomerate of countries that they were colonized, some are not, were not, maybe one or two were not. So we need to look at the relevance of the Commonwealth of Nations in the world we live in today. You know, the Commonwealth of Nations, often the, the, just call them the Commonwealth, is an association of uh, 53 independent countries, you know. All but one of them are former British colonies, all related dependencies like Rwanda, which was never colonized by the British, but I just joined. So although the British Empire is mostly no more, these nations group together to use their history to promote peace, democracy, and development. Their are substantial economic ties and history. We're going to look at all that. So we're going to break it down to, to four major segments. We're looking at the origin of the Commonwealth of Nations, the structure and objective of the Commonwealth of Nations, the economic influence of the commonwealth of nations, and finally today's relevance and possibly a duplication of responsibility by other, you know, world bodies. You know, so but clearly at Atlantic Discourse we try and embrace humanity to disseminate positive news in the world filled with very bad news. We give a voice to the unheard. Always we balance the information equation. We discuss the facts wherever it leads to. We combine the best of all races to get the best out of mankind. We serve as a bridge between the developing and the developed world. We embrace art, sports, politics and faith-based issues. We never run away from the facts. So like I said, my name remains Ade Balogun, and we're going to look at the relevance of the Commonwealth of Nations. So let's look at the origin of the Commonwealth of Nations to start with because that will give us a better insight into how it started, what it's all about and like i said we we'll look at the second thing we we'll look at the structure and the objective then thirdly we we'll look at the economic influence today and finally today's uh, relevance and po- possibly if there duplication of responsibility by other world bodies so toward the end of the 19th century changes began occurring in the old british empire as the colony grew in, in independence i mean the 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 crave for for self-determination grew generally So in 1867, Canada became a dominion, a self-governing nation considered equal with Britain rather than simply ruled by her. The phrase Commonwealth of Nations was used to describe the new relationship between Britain and our colonies, you know, there was Lord Rosbury that came up with this. Lord Rosbury, during a speech in Australia in 1884, where domination followed and you know, Australia is still ruled by the Queen, you know, as the sovereign, but it's an independent country. You know, Australia in 1900, New Zealand in 1907, South Africa in 1910, and Irish Free State in 1921 were all under British uh, rule at one time or the other. So, in the aftermath of the First World War, the dominions sought a new definition of relationship between themselves and Britain. Those are the co- countries I mentioned above: that Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and the Irish Free State. So, they wanted a new world or a new sort of relationship, a, a, some level of equality with Britain, you know. So at first, the old conferences of Dominion and Imperial conferences began in 1887 for discussion between the leaders of Britain and the Dominion. Dominion, like I told you, are those countries I've mentioned, you know. So this were resurrected. They kept kept on talking, talking, discussing every now and then. Then at the 1926 conference, the Balfour report was discussed, accepted, and the following were agreed by the Dominion. One the autonomous community within the British Empire, equal in status, in no way subordinate to one another in any aspect of their domestic or external affairs. You know, that's, that's a lot of equality. Though united by common allegiance to the crown, you can hear that the, the, the crown is still sovereign to them one way or the other, and freely associated as members of the British Commonwealth of Nations. So those are the basis to which the dominion will first uh, come about. You know, at that time, this declaration was made law by the 1931 statute of Westminster, and the British Commonwealth of Nations was created. So that was in 1931. The first legitimate name, Commonwealth of Nations, was 1931. So the development of the Commonwealth Nation was evolving, but those were the four nations that brought it about. Now, the Commonwealth evolved in 1949 after the independence of India, which was partitioned into two wholly independent nations, Pakistan and India. We're not here to talk about that today, but we know Pakistan came out of India. Subsequently, Bangladesh too also came out of that union. So, the latter wished to remain in the Commonwealth despite owing no allegiance to the crown. That's India in this regard. So, the problem was solved by a conference of Commonwealth ministers that same year, which concluded that. Sovereign nations should still be part of the Commonwealth with no implied allegiance to the Crown of Britain. You know, so the symbol of free association that was created for them was the Commonwealth. So, something that existed before, they all just went under the Commonwealth of Real. The name british was also dropped from the title so it's no more british commonwealth it's just the commonwealth of Nations. so many other colonies soon developed into their own republic joining the commonwealth as they did especially during the second half of the 20th century as africa and asia nations became independent new grounds were broken in 1995 when mozambique joined despite not having been a colony we're going to also talk about that countries that were never british colony that are members of the commonwealth not every british colony joined the commonwealth nor did every nation who joined it stayed in it for example ireland withdrew in 1949 as did south africa under the commonwealth pressure to curb apartheid you know so the pakistani in 1961 and 67 respectively also withdrew but they are back in now although they later rejoined like i said zimbabwe left in 2003 under political pressure and sanction and i think nigeria too was suspended but they never left so setting the objective the Commonwealth has a secretariat to oversee its business, but no formal constitutional or international laws. It does, however, have ethical and moral code, first expressed in the Singapore Declaration of Commonwealth Principle issued in 1971, by which members agree to operate, including aim for peace, democracy, liberty, equality, and an end to racism and poverty so that was the clear objective at that time when it was created this was refined and expanded in the alari declaration of 1991 which often considered to have set the commonwealth on a new course so clearly those were the immediate charter of the commonwealth even though it was evolving with time they keep changing it but the key things there are those what i just made clear so that of promoting democracy, good governance, human rights, rule of law, gender equality, and sustainable economic social development were all cited in it. In, I mean, they were all added subsequently and those are in the Commonwealth website. If you go there today, you see. So, an action plan has since been produced to act follow this declaration. So failure to adhere to these claims can has and resulted in members being su- suspended you know so for example Pakistan was suspended in 1999 for military, got under military rule from 1999 to 2004. Fiji was suspended in 2006 after a military coup. I think Nigeria too was suspended during a budget then after the murder of, uh, after Ken Saruwiwa was murdered. So alternative aims, some early British supporters of the Commonwealth hope for different results. That Britain should grow in political power by influencing the members, regaining global position in a loss. I mean, the economic ties to threaten British economy and that the Commonwealth will promote British interest in the world affairs. In reality, member states have proved reluctant to compromise their own newfound voice instead working out the common world could benefit also the initial objective of some school of thought within the british iraqi and uh, monarchy you know to still recolonize indirectly their independent uh, uh, ex-colonies did not work out as planned because countries like india pakistan showed a lot of uh, independence and in thinking economically and what have you so we also have the common world game and that's perhaps the uh, the best-known aspect of the Commonwealth, you know, in in, in areas of sport, is sort of mini Olympics held every four years, which only really accept entrants from Commonwealth countries, and it has been derided but often recognised as a solid way to prepare young talent for international competition. So, member nation, we have Antigua, Australia, Bahamas, Bangladesh, Barbados, Belize. Botswana, Brunei, Cameroon, Canada, Cyprus, Dominicia, Republic, Fiji, Gambia, Ghana, Grenada, Guyana, India, Jamaica, Kenya, Kiribati, Lesotho, Malawi, Maldives, Malaysia formerly called Malaya then, which became Malaysia and Singapore. You know, so we have uh, Malta, Mauritius, Mozambique, Namibia, Nauru, New Zealand, Nigeria, Pakistan. We, of course, broke out of India, you know. So Papua New Guinea, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and Grenadine, Samoa, that's former Western Samoa. We have Seychelles, Sierra Leone, Singapore, uh, Solomon Island, South Africa. They left in 1961, then they rejoined in 1994. Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon, at that time under Sirimavu Bandaranaike they they joined in 1948 switzerland swaziland joined in 68 tanzania joined in 61 you know it was formerly tangayika but when uh, tanzania in 1964 became a union with zanzibar you know they became tanzania so that that they joined in 61 tunga He's also a member. Trinidad and Tobago, Tuvalu, they joined in 78. Uganda, they joined later after independence. British Colony, United Kingdom, they've always been there since 1931. They're the pioneer, they're the brain behind it. They are the crown, you know, they were the colonialists. Vanuatu, 1918, Zambia, 64, Zanzibar, 1963. So, cumulatively, you have about 54 countries in all when you add the United Kingdom, you know, or you add England where the where the crown really is. So, so that's it. We can look at that as the origin of the Commonwealth, how it started initially with the nation, the dominion nation, but India was the first colonized country to really come under the Commonwealth of nation. Now, the facts of the matter as it is today is that the Queen is the head of the Commonwealth. Yeah, some countries like Australia, Canada still have their Queen as their sovereign. So, but we look at that later, but but we're just looking at the origin of the Commonwealth. We're going to now look at the structure and the objective of the Commonwealth of uh, the nation. You know, because structurally, you know, we we know the Queen is is the head, but... How, how do they manage it? How did it come about? What are the basics? So, the origins and concepts and the establishment of the time Commonwealth. So, because we all know that Queen Elizabeth, in her address to Canada on Dominion Day Dominion, which I spoke about earlier on in 1959, pointed out that the Confederation of Canada on the 1st July 1867 has been the part of the first independent country within the British Empire so it also marks the beginning of the free association of independent states which is now known as the commonwealth of a nation so those, those, those are the initial, initial countries uh, we have canada uh, like the Irish Free State and what have you. So, adoption and formalization of the Commonwealth. That was in the that started with the Balfour Declaration of 1926. That's Imperial Conference. Britain and its dominion agreed that they were equal in status, in no way subordinate to one another in any aspect of their domestic or external affairs, though united by common allegiance to the Crown and freely associated as members of the British Commonwealth of Nations, the term Commonwealth was officially adopted to describe the community. So it's no more British Commonwealth, I mentioned that earlier but just to when I'm looking at the structure and the objective we just have to go back to that for some reason. So this aspect of the relationship were formalized by the statute of Westminster in 1931 which applied to Canada without the need for ratification But Australia, New Zealand and Newfoundland had to ratify the statute for it to take place by their own parliament. So Newfoundland never did. So as of uh, 16 February 1934, with the consent of its parliament, the government of Newfoundland voluntarily ended the governance reverted to direct control from London. So, Newfoundland later joined Canada. As we know today, Newfoundland is one of the 10 regions in Canada. You know, later joined Canada as its 10th province in 1949. Australia and New Zealand ratified the statute in 1942 and 1947, respectively. So, although the Union of South Africa was not among the dominion that needed to adopt the statute of Westminster for it to take effect, two laws, the Statutes of Union Act 1934 and the Royal Executive Function and Seals of 1934 was passed to confirm South Africa's status as a sovereign state. So, now we can look at decolonization and self-governance. After the Second World War ended, the British uh, Empire was gradually dismantled. Most of its components had become independent countries. Whether Commonwealth realms or republics and members of the Commonwealth, there remain the 14 mainly self-governing British overseas territories, you know, which retained some political association with the United Kingdom. Now in April nineteen forty-nine following the London Declaration, the word British was dropped from the Commonwealth to reflect its changing status. Burma now known as Myanmar, and Aden, now part of the Republic of Yemen, are the only states that were British colonies at the time of the war not to have joined the Commonwealth upon independence. So former British protectorates and mandates did not become members of the Commonwealth, you know. Some of them are Egypt, Egypt got uh, independent in 1922, in, uh, initial independence, Iraq 1932, Transjordan 1946, Palestine still partially independent, but not fully independent, part of which became the state of Israel. Anyway, some of you, a lot of us will know that already. So Sudan 1956, British Somaliland, which united with the former Italian Somaliland in 1960 to form the Somali Republic. Kuwait in 61, Bahrain 71, Oman 71, uh, Qatar 1971 also, and the United Arab Emirates in 1971. So, the roles, they declined to an extent, you know, I mean, the strategic importance of the body declined a bit. So, post-war Commonwealth was given a fresh mission by Queen Elizabeth II on a Christmas Day broadcast in 1953, in which she envisioned the Commonwealth as an entirely new conception, built on the highest qualities of the spirit of man, friendship, loyalty, a desire for freedom and peace. So, hope for success was reinforced by some achievement as climbing Mount Everest in 1953, breaking the four-minute mile in 1954 and a solo circumnavigation of the globe in 1966. However, the humiliation of the Suez Canal of 1956 badly hurt the morale of British and the Commonwealth as a whole. So, more broadly, there was the loss of the central role of the British Empire, the defense of the empire, the role was no longer military or financially feasible so those are really what declined the roles you know but on 18th april 1949 ireland formally became a republic in accordance with the republic of Ireland act of 1948 so in doing so it also formally left the commonwealth while ireland had not actively participated in commonwealth since the inception in 1930 part of which i made reference to when talking about the dominion so the new commonwealth that we have today i mean Planners in the interwar period, like Lord David, who had also taken a prominent part in building up the League of Nations in the Union, you know, in the United Kingdom. In 1932, founded the new Commonwealth Society, of whose Britain Section uh, uh, Winston Churchill became the president of that body. So this new society was aimed at the creation of, of an international effort to be the arm of the League of Nations, to allow nations to disarm, safeguard, just to give them some semblance of uh, relevance. Haven't lost a lot of mileage in its uh, in, the, in the in its relevance in the world at large, like. so we can go on and go on and that. But structurally, under the formula of the London Declaration, Queen Elizabeth II is the head of the Commonwealth, a title that's by law a part of the British uh, of uh, of the British uh, royal title for the Queen, and any anybody that's. That is at the head of the monarchy at that time. So the 16 members of the Commonwealth that recognize her as their monarch also are also there. There's some countries i am go into that later. So when the monarch dies, the successor to the crown does not automatically become the head of the commonwealth. There's a process for that. So, however, at their meeting in April 2018, Commonwealth leaders agreed that Prince Charles should succeed his mother as the heir, you know. So they follow the process. The position is symbolic, representing the free association of independent members, majority of which, I mean, 33 are republics, five have monarchs of their their own. Brunei has a monarchy, Eswatini is a monarchy, Lesotho is also a monarchy, Malaysia has a monarchy, but I mean, not as powerful as that of Britain. Tonga also has. So when we look at the Commonwealth head of government, that's where they meet, they call it Chogim the main decision forum of the organization which is a, a biannual event where commonwealth head of government including amongst other we are prime ministers president whoever is head of the government in any of those commonwealth countries they assemble for several days to discuss matters of mutual interest chugim is the successor to the meetings of the commonwealth prime uh, foreign minister that's always held maybe a week or two I mean to prepare whatever will be discussed, so the Commonwealth Secretariat structurally, which was established in 65, is the main intergovernmental agency of the Commonwealth, facilitating consultation, cooperation among member countries. So what really are the major benefits of it? We've looked at the the structural area, there's a secretary general that is appointed and all that, you know so. How relevant are they? Let's look at the economical areas for starters. So that's number three in my in, in the way I broke it down. Economic influence. In 2019, the Commonwealth members had a combined domestic product of over $9 trillion. Now, 17% of which were accounted for by the four largest economies in the Commonwealth. That's United Kingdom that had 3.1 trillion, India had 3.0 trillion canada has uh, 1.7 trillion australia has 1.4 trillion so in 1997 the commonwealth head of government agreed that to become a member of the commonwealth an applicant for example should as a rule have had a constitutional association with existing commonwealth members for example so it should comply with commonwealth values principles priorities set up by the harare declaration and that should that should automatically make the commonwealth uh, accept them if they you know agree with those norms South Sudan politicians for example expressed interest in joining the commonwealth a senior commonwealth source stated in 2006 many people have assumed an interest from Israel but have never fully you know uh, no formal approach from Israel The state of past Palestine Which is not fully independent Is also a potential candidate for member Now, President Yahya Jamin Former President of Gambia Unilaterally withdrew the Commonwealth withdrew Gambia, sorry From the Commonwealth in 2013 However, the newly elected President Adama Baru also returned them back So, there are issues in that area Economically The, the four strong bodies there Are United Kingdom uh, India, Canada, and Australia. So there have been suspensions too in the past, you know, we have members can be suspended from the Council of the Commonwealth for serious or persistent violation of the RRA conference, you know. Now, particularly in abrogating these responsibilities to have democratic government, now if you have a military coup, they will look at it, now, let's look at Nigeria that was suspended between 11 November 1995 and 26 May 1999, following the execution of Ken Uwa on the eve of the 1985 guy that's the Commonwealth head of government meeting. Pakistan was the second country to be suspended on the 18th of October 1999, following the military coup of Pervez Musharraf. The Commonwealth longest suspension came to an end on 22nd of uh, may 20, 2004 when pakistan suspension was lifted following the restoration of the country's constitution so pakistan was suspended for a second time for more briefly for another six months you know along the line but it all burns down to them not adhering okay now is it a toothless but yeah they has been able to bite at least countries have been suspended for those that cannot uh, adhere to basic commonwealth norms. so now if we look at the relevance of it today economically a lot of those countries have their ties to other to other Bro, india for example is among the brink state that's a uh Brinks there you have uh you have russia brazil that's b is brazil r russia i a uh, india and uh c for i can't remember who that for but the, the other tie they have the non-aligned nation india is also a member of the non aligned Nation. they're part of the g20 so Economically, there's no major, apart from bilateral trade with individual countries, there's really nothing cogent going on amongst all independent uh, Commonwealth members, you know. So, objectives, like I told you, it's, everything is stated clearly in the Singapore Declaration of 71, which committed the Commonwealth to the institution of world peace promotion of representative democracy and individual liberty. Those are already in the United Nations Charter. Those are already in the AU African Union Charter. That's already well enshrined in every subregional continental charter. So it's not really new. They added the pursuit of equality opposition to racism. That's already in almost every charter. The fight against poverty, ignorance and disease and free trade. Well, like I said those are already in almost every charter you think of. So to... To this were added opposition to discrimination on the basis of gender. This was done in the Lusaka uh, Declaration of 1979. The Environmental Sustainability by the Lankwa Declaration of 1989. So these objectives were reinforced also by the Arari. Now, the competence, where have they showed traction? You know, In recent years, the Commonwealth was, has been accused of not being vocal enough on its core value see, that's what I said earlier on, you know, allegation of leak memo from the Secretary General instructing staff not to speak on human rights in countries that human rights have violated. Mm-hmm. That has really brought them, you know, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of very, very, very bad press and what have you. So post-war, that was when Britain really uh, uh, tried to maximize the potential of the Commonwealth eco- uh, uh, status economically. During the Second World War, the Commonwealth played a major role in helping British finances. Foreign exchange reserves were pulled in London to be used to fight the war. In effect, Britain procured 2.3 billion, of which 1.3 billion was from India. That's very strategic. Clearly, that's already uh, more than half of that money. You know, so the debt was held in form of British government securities. It became known as the Stalin balances. So by 1950, India, Pakistan, and Ceylon had spent much of their Stalin while other countries accumulated more. The styling area that included all of the commonwealth except for Canada. So clearly, we know that economically, that was a a good mileage for them. They showed they could do it, but there were a lot of involvement over the the years. And uh, by 1961, there were other groups that were because the EU, there were other EU members that wanted to join. So by 61, with the sluggish economy, and Britain repeated, uh, Britain repeatedly tried to join the European economic community, so they actually lost track of what was happening in the Commonwealth of Nations. So, is it relevant today as a group? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's good for government leaders to meet every now and then, every two years. Is he a toothless bulldog? Yeah, it is. Be, you, if you sanction India, for example, like when Nigeria was sanctioned, Nigeria didn't really panic, you know, trade wise. Although the Commonwealth does not have a multilateral trade agreement, which is unfair, that's what will have actually boosted their, their, the community and made them relevant because commerce is the key. You know, so research by the Royal Commonwealth Society has shown that the trade with another Commonwealth member is up to 50% more than with non-members or on average. So with smaller and less wealthy states having a higher propensity, to trade within the Commonwealth, so that's why I said it's more bilateral trade, not as a group. If they had forged a, a financial union, I think yes, there would have been a lot of traction and it'll have been a stronger body. But there are loyalties to other subregional and continental groups. Well, at the 2005 summit in, uh, in Malta, the head of government endorsed pursuing a free trade among Commonwealth members on bilateral basis. So countries are free. To, to sign bilateral MOUs among themselves, but not collectively as the Commonwealth. So following its votes in June 2016 to leave the EU, some politicians in the United Kingdom have suggested the idea as an alternative to its membership in the European Union so that Britain should go back to the Commonwealth and form and lead them and form an economic unity. We're still waiting for that to happen. However, it is far from clear that this will either you know, come to fruition or not we're not sure that's going to happen but we're we're clearly with it now uh although the eu is already in the process of negotiating free trade agreement with many common world countries such as india canada that individually it took the eu almost 10 years to come to an agreement with canada so there's slow speed snail speed in all that regard common world countries share many links outside government which uh over 100 commonwealth Wide non-governmental organization, notably for sports culture, education, law, and charity. So there's some cooperation going on, but nothing extraordinary, nothing, nothing that can make them an economic force in the world. Which, in my opinion, are the those things that matter. They have the Commonwealth game, which fosters unity. Now, things that could have happened, maybe a Commonwealth passport, a, a, a no visa policy among Commonwealth nations, that has also not happened. So. Let's just look at it that, technically speaking, they're toothless. Bugle. Today's relevance, no, they are all just, it's fair to just call them a, a, an armada of countries that were colonized by Britain. I know Rwanda joined sometimes later, you know, I mean, even though they were not colonized by Britain, but that's that. It's just, it's just a group to belong to for the sports, for, for some cultural and trade issues. Because there are a lot of countries like Canada that if they do not adhere to whatever is happening in the Commonwealth Group of Nations, everyone's won't fall. Even Britain has lost its political mileage in the world. That's just commonsensical too. It's not taking anything from them. I hear some people say, not so great Britain, blah, blah, blah. But they're still a strong country. But going forward, I do think that until they form a common economic fund, an example of those things should be one, maybe... Uh, maybe not a common passport, but free visa, free movement, you know, so that there won't be any hindrance between all Commonwealth of Nations, free trade and movement, you know, because a lot of them are in Africa anyway. So that's really my bit for today. Clearly, yes, Commonwealth is good to belong to it for affinity and what have you, but economically, it's not an extraordinary body, so to say, anymore. It's not the the influence of Britain in the world as win. It's relevant. It's not among even the top five international bodies that people want to belong. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of powerful countries that have their loyalty elsewhere. If Britain, for example, will value their friendship with America, with possibly even Russia, with possibly even China, more than that of the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth just gives them a sense of, okay, yeah, we're still in charge, we're on top of it. While, like, one, two, three, four countries still has the Queen as the head of their nation. So, it's a feel-good thing. Economically, like I said, it's not, it's not, there's nothing that's a, it's a, it's nothing to really, really write over. But that's why you see that the the major economic growth amongst manifestations member nations are strictly bilateral and what have you so that's my bit for today and i've said uh the relevance of the commonwealth of Nations in today's world it's um, it's not what it used to be and uh next week i'll come with to you with another very juicy and interesting topic i'm still your boy my name remains ade balogun and uh, i'm here for you all the time have a fantastic week ahead and god bless you all thanks bye